Good afternoon. Turn your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Oh, really surprising stuff. It's a whole new year. You never quite know what's going to come. Uh, let me give you a little bit of a, a reason why I'm going to be turning to Hebrews this, this afternoon. Uh, as uh, in God's good providence, I haven't been able to be here in the, the last couple of weeks, partly just because of the nature of the holidays. Uh, partly I was, I was in Florida, and that was glorious. And, uh, and then I'm preaching this week, but then in God's good providence, the next three weeks, I'll be out of this pulpit as, uh, as next week I'll be in North Carolina and then the following couple of weeks. I am thrilled for you guys to be able to have somebody here who, uh, who I'm praying for God's will to be done in this church. I'm excited for you. So I won't be here for the following three weeks. And since today is New Year's Day, I thought, well, why don't we just do a little bit of a shift from the series we've been doing on 1 Peter and think about the question, how are we going to sur-thrive in 2023? All right, so maybe you noticed it's a combination of the word survive. And if you look back at 2022, that's a proper way of looking at life. How did you survive 2022? That's a question maybe you might be asked in the future. 2020 all the way to 2022. And maybe we'll be looking at sort of that in the future to come as well. Uh, but then as well, thrive. And by this, I don't just mean from a fiscal, from a workplace, from a whatever sort of situation. I'm asking the question, how are you in your relationship with Christ going to deepen that relationship and make it more meaningful and significant in the year to come? So today our service will be considering the question, how should we run this race of faith that we've been placed on? Well, of course, that leads us to Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, let's take a look at the first four verses. This is what the author of Hebrews says. <clears throat> Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, let me just pause there and just say this. If you're wondering who the cloud of witnesses are, those who witness our faith, it seems. We'll talk more about that in just a few moments. Who are these cloud of witnesses? One of the things that you probably already know about the Bible is that the Bible did not come from the pen of the apostles or the pen of the uh, gospel writers. It didn't come from them with chapters and verses. We made those up. Somewhere along the way, somebody said, let's split this into chapters. And then somebody else said, let's split this into verses. And we're all gloriously thankful for that, aren't we? Because otherwise I would have said, well, turn to the middle of Hebrews somewhere and then try and find where I'm at. That would have been a bit of a frustration. So, so what we find here is somebody's determination to put chapter 12 where chapter 12 is. I think this is one of the more tragic placements of a chapter division, though. And here's the reason I say that. All of chapter 11 you might be familiar with as the Hall of Faith. It's this glorious recounting of God's people. And the way in which they've embraced the truth of God, despite the difficulties, hardships, blessings, and glories that God gives to them. And they, and, they, and they walk this walkway of faith. And he gives example after example. These examples that populate our Old Testament are given there. And then we find this end in chapter 12. But in all reality, chapter 12 is actually the completion of the Hall of Faith. 
And if we separate chapter 12, we've actually missed the man of faith, the example of faith that the author of Hebrews wants to give to us. And that's Jesus. So let's keep reading it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter, that could be translated the one who began the race and finished it well. Who for the joy, this is the way Jesus ran the race, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And we're going to break it there for the purposes of this sermon this, more, this afternoon. Let's pray together and ask the Lord's blessing on the preaching of the word. Father in heaven, we come before you. We've just sung the words many times. We depend on you. And Father, I pray that your people sitting in these pews today, I pray that your people standing in pulpits today, that you would allow each of us to know that dependence today, that you would use your word. We know that your power is in your word. You've given it to us to transform us and to make us into the image of your son, Jesus. So today we ask you to do that work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The author of Hebrews begins with an analogy. He uses this analogy of a race, and I've entitled this message, Running Your Race. Some of you, perhaps, like me, get shivers when I think about running. And uh, it, it isn't the best thing that you can think of. Uh, my, the high school I went to was a big soccer school. I tended to play basketball. I'm a little bit taller, and so I did better at that. And I recall everyone telling me, you need to play soccer because if you come into soccer, what's going to happen is you're going to be just in better shape so you can play basketball. I went to the first soccer meeting, the first soccer practice, and guess what they did the entire practice? They ran. Guess who didn't show up to practice number two? Right? So racing, running is not the most enjoyable thing for me. But I, I think part of the reason for that is because running is a difficult thing, isn't it? It takes some discipline. And, uh, of course, I, we, we probably all know those people who love running, but they didn't start that way. They developed a love for running, and it took quite a bit of discipline. And so today we want to talk about the discipline of walking the Christian life the author of Hebrews uses the analogy of a run, I think, intentionally, just as the Apostle Paul uses that same analogy intentionally. I'm not sure my clicker is working here. Okay, there we go. So one of the things we have to understand, he uses this analogy of the race, I think partly because of the necessity of endurance for a race. You'll recall that the Apostle Paul also with some level of frequency, likes to talk about athletic endeavors. He likes to use analogies that refer to discipline, and especially in the case of running. 
1 Corinthians 9 comes to mind. And these analogies, I think, are so appropriate because there's something about the Christian life that takes endurance. The author of Hebrews, and and I'm fully aware that we haven't been able to develop the fullness of the book of Hebrews, but the book of Hebrews is about a people who are in the midst of difficulty and trial. They're actually very similar to the people that we've been talking about in the book of 1 Peter. And these people, they are going through difficulty for the fact that they have embraced Christ. And the author of Hebrews is calling them to endurance. He then says that you must run your race. You must endure until the very end, despite the challenges and even sometimes blessings that come our way. It is an endurance race. There are many who would say to us, listen, you need to embrace Christ because when you embrace Christ, your life will just get so much better. And I would agree with them in many ways. But if we're selling the gospel that way, we're not selling it the way Jesus sold it. Jesus told people when they came to him, listen, you're, this is going to be difficult. You're going to have to love me more than you love your mother, father, brother, and sisters. If you're going to be a disciple of mine, it's going to take some challenge. It's going to be a difficult journey. And we, if you've followed Christ for some time, know that it is a bit of an endurance run. This run is also, second, if you could uh, go to the next, a communal race. I think sometimes when we think of a race, we think of one person is going to win it. Now, Paul does use that analogy in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. But there are other races in which you enter, not so much to win, but to finish. Uh, the, uh, the big race in which you swim, bike, and run, the Ironman. There are about five people in the world who train for that to win it. Uh, because they know that uh, the amount of dedication it takes to do that is just astronomical. But even to finish that race takes quite a bit of dedication. But you know, most people who enter the Ironman do not enter the Ironman in order to win it. They enter into it to finish it. And here's the thing about the Christian race, the way that the, the author of Hebrews is presenting it. He's not asking you to look at your neighbor and say, I've got to run faster than him. I've got to run faster than her. He's actually looking at this as a race in which we have joined arms with one another. And sometimes... It means that when someone has fallen down, you stop and you help them up. This is a race that's a communal race. And we ought to care not just about, have I grown in Christ this year? But has Redemption Bible Church grown in Christ this year? Our vision cannot simply be, it's me and you, God. That's not the race he's called you to. He's called you to a race that is communal. And the, the question is, how am I to relate to you, God? But then you've given me gifts, you've given me abilities. How can I help those around me to run this race and to finish it exactly the way that you've called us to? So it's a communal race and not simply a race to the finish. Further, and going to the third one, this is a race with eternal consequences, or I might say a meaningful race. The author of Hebrews puts it quite starkly in the book of Hebrews. If you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, and I think uh, Pastor Brian preached through it, so hopefully you are a little bit familiar with the book of Hebrews, you know that the warnings in the book of Hebrews are far sharper than any other book of the, of the New Testament. 
And the author of Hebrews knows the challenging situation in which his readers are in. And what he wants to tell them is that they are in a difficult race. They are running a race that is hard. But if they stop, it's going to be even harder. You see, there's difficulty on this path. But if we look at the results of of our stopping running, we will continue to run. We need to run. It is of eternal consequence that we run. In chapter 3, verse 14, the author of Hebrews puts it this way. We have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly unto the end the truth that we knew at the start. Now, don't be confused about that. Because I think some people hear that and they think, so I've got I've, I've to run the rate, like I've got to do all of it so that I get to the finish. And if I stop running, then it's on me. And so isn't my salvation mine? Like, aren't I responsible for my salvation? But if you understand scripture, you know that that's not the way that any other scripture teaches it. What scripture teaches is that those who've been truly transformed by the spirit of God, will continue the race. They'll keep running. And the warnings that are presented there are presented so that those who are truly God's people would hear them and say, no, I will not go back there. I must continue to run. But the point of the author of Hebrews is keep running. Keep going through the difficulty. it, It may be challenging, but it is necessary. And so keep the race moving. So if we understand what the run is, it's an endurance, it's going to take endurance, it's communal, and it's eternally meaningful, then the next question we might ask is this, how are we going to successfully run this race? And I'm going to suggest four things that we need to do as we run this race, and the first of it is this, we look back. Now, I know that someone out there has studied racing, And you know that the one thing you're not supposed to do if you're running a race is what? You're not supposed to look back because then you're looking at what everybody else is doing. You just just keep on your race. But again, remember, this isn't a a, uh, race to the finish in that sense. The other thing I would say about this is that good racers, good runners, do you know what they do? They study running. They study races. They study the pace of various people. They they figure out what it is that makes someone a good runner and then determine how they can embrace those same things so that they could improve their run. Let me suggest to you that the author of Hebrews is suggesting to his readers that they ought to look back. And this is so appropriate as we enter a new year. Now you may be, or you may not be, one who does the New Year's uh, resolutions and determines what I'm going to do this year and what I'm not going to do this year, and and you're going to stick to them all the way until at least January 15th. Maybe that's you, maybe it isn't, and maybe, maybe you keep them all the way through, I don't know. But one of the things that we need to think about in relation to Christianity is that we ought to have goals. We ought to have things that we look forward to, and then things we look back to and say, how am I doing on my run? The author of Hebrews suggests a few things here in this text. Look at this in chapter 12, verse 1. He says, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, then let's do this. Let's, two things, lay aside every weight. We'll get back to that in a moment. Second, and lay aside 
the sin which clings so closely. Let us lay aside the sin which clings so closely. The analogy here is to something that would, as you're running, would reach up, grab the foot, and cause you to stumble and fall in the midst of your run. Just yesterday, I was at a friend's house, and uh, they invited us over for a party, and then she said, oh, by the way, can you fix this? Uh, so that, that very close friends, as, as you can tell. And <clears throat> after I fixed this massive thing, and then uh, we were moving it uh, in, into another part of their house, and as we were doing so, uh, in, it's massive, it takes four of us to carry this thing, and my wife uh, suggested, and uh, why don't we clear the pathway? Is that a good idea or a bad idea? Well, I mean, just, just get the thing done, right? I mean, that's usually my perspective. Let's just get this over with. Uh, I'll just step over what's in the way. My wife's perspective is wise. She's going to take a recording of that and play it over and over, I think. Uh, <laughs> My wife's perspective is wise. What do you do when there are obstacles that might trip you up? You, you remove them. You, you say, listen, I know the things that are in the pathway that are going to cause me to stumble as I go along. So in my wisdom, I'm going to say that's a problem for me. I'm going to get it out of the way. And do you know what the author of Hebrews is here saying? Is he saying, look, there is sin which clings so closely, or which gathers around your feet. These are things that prevent you from running the race. And here's what you have to do when you look at, the, at life. You have to say, what is the sin that clings so closely to me? And you say, well, well Tim, what exactly is that sin? That's the problem. I can't tell you what the sin is that clings so closely. The fact is that every one of us is different. Uh, you know, reading the history of Christian doctrine, it's always fascinating to me to read about some saints who would say, these sorts of things have no appeal to me at all. And then another saint in which that same thing that had absolutely no appeal to this saint, that's the thing that they're tripping over. And the bottom line is here today, as you look at your life over this last year, I encourage you tonight, Today, this afternoon, ask yourself the question, where did I fail Christ this last year? In what areas did I stumble so that I didn't run the race that I should have? And when you think about that, and you say, well, it's in this area, in this area, in this area, then let me ask you this question. Can you do something about that? Can you... Can you make your life in such a way that those poles, that those things that would normally trip your feet, that you go the opposite direction of them? So that they're no longer in your pathway? So that they're no longer able to make you trip? This is such a simple truth. Look at your life and say, where have I failed? And then what can I do not to do that again? And yet, it's a revolutionary truth at the same time. And may I encourage you, the author of Hebrews says, this sin which clings so closely, what, what should you do? Lay it aside. Get rid of it. Get it out of, your, out of your life, out of your house, whatever you need to do 
to get that sin which seems, clings so closely out of your life. But you'll notice he says a second thing, that as we look back at our life in 2022, and we say, how did my run go? We might ask the question whether there are weights in our life. Notice in verse 1 again, let us also lay aside every weight. Every weight. Now, because the author of Hebrews here indicates to us that there is a distinction between weights and sins, because he, he, he says, let us lay aside the weight and the sin, it seems to me that weights are not sins. But they are things that we should put aside. What exactly then would be weights? I think this is another very personal thing. I, I couldn't tell you what a weight is, but I would simply put it this way. Anything that prevents you from running the race the way you ought to. Uh, now, the, the analogy is quite clear. Get rid of the weight that keeps you from running. Uh, you know, if, if you were to take a pan of various runners on a, on a, on a list of, uh, you know, of people who are about to run a race, and you've got all these people who look like they've they spent their entire life running, and then you've got somebody who's just really out of shape. You think that person is going to win the race? Likely not, because they have excess weight. And if you get into the running sphere, what you find is that uh, some of these runners get so minute, so particular about weight and what they eat and all these sorts of things, because they know that every excess pound prevents them from running the way that they ought. And so they, they look closely. So what does the author of Hebrews mean by weight? He's not talking necessarily about us losing physical weight. He's talking about anything that slows us down in the Christian life. And again, this is so personal that I don't know what to say concerning exactly what it might be in your life. Dare I give examples? Well, I'd simply say this. Anything that keeps you from doing what you know you need to do in the Christian life is a weight. Did you in 2022 come to the end of days, like at, at the end of a certain day, and you say, oh man, I, I really should read the Bible, but I just don't have time. And then you look back in the day, let me ask you, what was your day filled with? I'm not against television. I'm not against social media. But I think John Piper's right. He said one of the biggest blessings of social media is to show us that we have no excuse not to pray. If you got time to be on Twitter, to be on Snapchat, to be on Instagram, to be on Facebook, whatever your pill is, if you've got time for that, then you've got time to be in God's Word. If you've got time for that, then you've got time to be reading God's Word. And these are the sorts of weights that come on us. And, and the problem is that, that we love them to some degree, don't we? These, these are the sorts of things that we say, you know, but I really need to just, I really need to rest. And so then all of a sudden there goes an hour. There goes two hours of our life. And we're never getting that back. There may be other weights. It could be relationships. It could be, oh, 
It could be a whole host of things. Honestly, right now, all I can simply say is perhaps the Lord is pinpointing something in your life today that you say, I spend time doing this, but I don't have time for God. And so if that's the case, then that's a wait. There are things that you say, you know, we need to do this, but it's preventing us from being in the, in the house of God's people. Let me simply say that's a wait. I don't know what it is, but it's a wait. Because you need to be in God's, God's house. This is where God's called you to be. This is where God's called you to be for you. But it's also where God calls you to be for the people sitting around you. They need you here as much as you need to be here. So one of the first things that the author of Hebrews tells us is that when we enter this race, how are we going to run? He says, well, look back. Take a look at your life. What are the sins that so easily entangle your feet? Get rid of them. Do something so that they don't entangle you. What are the weights that are keeping you from running the race that you ought to run? Well, then get rid of it. Get rid of that weight. We look back. There's a second thing, though. We look around. We look around at the examples of past runners. Uh, this, is, this may seem like an odd thing to us, but I think it's a really helpful one. You'll notice chapter 12 of Hebrews begins with the word therefore. And if you trace what he's saying, he's just done all of the, the hall of faith. This person of faith did this. This person of faith did this. This other person of faith did this. And now he says, so, because all these people of faith have run the race this way, then you ought also to run. In fact, that's exactly what he says. Let us also. You see, the people of faith before you, you know what they did? They laid aside the weights. They got rid of the sin that so easily entangled them. And look to them, look to their lives. Friends, saints, as you look at your life, one of the things that we have to do is we have to look at this race as one in which we're joining arms with those around us. And we have to look at it as an opportunity for us to reach out into the lives of others. Let me, let me maybe put it this way. I think every believer needs to have relationships in which they are discipling those who are coming after them. And every believer needs a relationship in which they are being positively discipled by someone who's gone before them. The author of Hebrews says, here, here says, hey, look at the life of David. Look at the life of Saul or Solomon. Look at, look at the life of, and, and he works through a number of individuals to say, there are things you can learn from their life. But you know what one of my favorite things? Sitting down with an older saint and saying, tell me about your walk of faith. What has life looked like for you? And to hear them express what God has done for them in, in their life and, and to hear them Help me to walk in that newness of life as well. We need such relationships. And I think the author of Hebrews in chapter 11 gives us reason to do that. Now, let me give you another thing, and, and perhaps an encouragement this, this year. I think uh, Hebrews 11 also gives us reason to read biographies of Christian saints. To pick up some, uh, some biographies and say, how did... This saint of the past walked the Christian life. Some of the most influential books in my life have been those written by previous saints 
who simply talked about their walk of life. So grow in godliness by looking at the example of those who've run before you. So we look around. The third thing, we look forward to the one who finished successfully. In fact, you'll notice that the language here is, uh, you'll notice at the end of verse 1, he says, lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then the beginning of verse 2, looking to Jesus. Remember, he's just detailed all these saints of old. And then he says, saint, do you know where your eye has to be fixed? Fix it on Jesus. Well, you say, well, why, why fix it on Jesus? There's so many other people who've run a race and, and run it successfully. Oh, no, no one's run it successfully like he did. He ran it. He was the author and finisher of our faith. That's the language that's used here. He's the founder or perfecter of our faith. He's the one who successfully began the race rightly. And he's the one who crossed the finish line perfectly. And so when we look for an example and we say, you know, I, I need to see some example to follow correctly. You don't have a better one than Jesus. This comes back to what we've been learning at 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter says that Jesus suffered in order to leave us an example that we would follow in his footsteps. Do you remember that passage? We've just been looking at that recently. He left us an example. Part of the reason Jesus became incarnate wasn't simply so that he could go to the cross. If you look at the scripture, it actually says he came, yes, to go to the cross. But second, to show us what real humanity should be like. Sometimes people say, well, Jesus, was he really man because he wasn't sinful? He couldn't have really been man without being sinful. But Jesus' point was, true man shouldn't be sinful. Real men, weren't, real men and women weren't supposed to be sinful. He was the chief example of what it means to live faithfully. And he's left us an example well, what exactly does this example entail? It's something I detailed a little bit earlier in, in when we were talking about First Peter, but look at this passage here in verse 2. So looking to Jesus, who's the founder, the perfecter of our faith, because here's how he ran. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the Father. I would just like to draw some attention to how Jesus ran. You'll notice, first of all, that his attention was on eternity. His attention was on the promises of God. It was the joy that was set before him. Think of Jesus' life. Did Jesus live an enviable life? I suppose in one sense we might say, yes, because he lived a sinless life. But in the sense that his life was one full of rejection, one full of much bitterness in the sense of, of disciples going away from him, difficulty, challenges that Jesus faced. How did he run the race successfully? Especially knowing, because Jesus knew, that the cross lay at the end of his race. How did he keep going? 
How did he keep running when he knew that his run was running towards the cross? You know how? Because he really believed that there was joy set before him. Do you believe that? Do you believe there's a life to come? Do you believe that God's promises are true? Because if you do, then your life in 2023 should look different than the world, shouldn't it? Because our hope is different. Our end is different. We're headed on a path. We're running a race for the joy that's set before us. Yeah, there's difficulty. There's challenges. There's obstacles. There's all sorts of things. And there are lots of times when I love the sin that clings so closely. And there are lots of times that the weight that, that, that is surrounding me, I love the weight. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tear it off. I'm going to get rid of that sin. Why? Because there's joy that lies beyond. And I'm going to run towards that. You see, Jesus didn't just believe the joy that was set before him. And by the way, it was fulfilled because he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. But also, he endured the cross despising the shame. Here's how a definition, uh, a dictionary refers to that word despising. It says, to consider something not important enough to be an object of concern when evaluated against something else. Now catch this. To consider something not important enough to be an object of concern when evaluated against something else. Do you know what he despised? The shame of the cross. He did not consider the shame that was going to come to him on the cross. He didn't consider that cross experience as something important enough to be an object of concern. Again, why? Why wasn't he stopped in his tracks as he thought about that cross to come? It was because he really believed in the joy that lie before it. That is, when he saw the cross, he was reminded of the joy. And this is where some of us need to be right now. Because you're facing some sort of trial. You're facing something that is a cross in your life. Obviously not comparable to Jesus's, but there's something going on, and it's hard. Is there joy that lies behind it? Is there joy that you're running towards? And believe the scriptures, believe the truth, because look at the life of Jesus. He endured the cross. He endured far more than any of us will ever endure. And yet, he did it without sin. And he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. That, see, the promise is true. He's received the joy. And the promise to you is, how Jesus did it is now your race, and you will likewise receive the joy when you finish your race. So, we've been talking about how to run this race. We say, look back at our own run. We said, look to each other's run. We then say, look to the run of Jesus. But then there's a fourth thing I'd, I'd finally say. We finally should look up. Look up. And you say, well, what do you mean by look up? Well, I want you to notice the language of chapter 12, verse 1. Because it says at the very end of verse 1, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside the weight, the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race, and then notice this next phrase, that is set before us. Now, I don't want to get into all the grammar, but that's a passive verb. Do you know what that means? That means you didn't choose your race. That means 
the race that's set before you is one that God put you on. And here's the bottom line about that. There are a lot of things that I've gone through in life that I wouldn't have chosen. And if my path was my path, I'd be somewhere else. But I'm not running my race. I'm running his race. I'm running the race that he put me on. Now, why is that significant? I think because it is an expression of God's sovereignty. One of the most beautiful things in Hebrews comes back in chapter 11, verses 32 and following. If you've got your Bibles, look there with me, because as I read through this, I want you to consider what the author of Hebrews does here, because he's just talked about the faith of various individuals, and then now he comes to the end and he basically says, listen, I want to tell you a lot more, but I don't have time to keep doing this, because papyrus is is expensive and this is getting long, so I can't keep going, but he says this, and what more shall I say? I'm in verse 32, by the way. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead back from resurrection, by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, chains, imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two, killed with the sword, went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All of these though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had promised something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Did you notice something happen in the middle of that passage? Did you notice a bit of a transition? Because the author of Hebrews says, hey, time would fail me to tell you of all the people who've conquered kingdoms, who've had their dead raised back, who've done these mighty, wonderful, glorious works, and others who were tortured, sawn in half, persecuted, didn't even have a place to lay their head. And you say, well, wait a second, there's a distinction between those two people, aren't there? But did you see how he summarized all of them? Verse 39, and all these though commended through their faith. Did you know that it was through David's faith that he conquered kingdoms? And it was through Isaiah's faith that he was sawn asunder? History tells us that Isaiah was the one hiding in a tree when King Manasseh had the tree cut down. And in some, to some degree, we want to say, well, no, wait a second. One of those is, is the good, and one of those is the bad, and we want to go towards the good and not the bad. But do you know, they didn't choose the life that they, were, that, that, they, that they walked. They didn't choose that path. 
Do you think Isaiah one day said, you know what, I'd like to be a prophet where no one listens to me. That'd be a blessing. Somehow I don't think he would have chosen that for himself. He would have loved to have been a prophet in which all the people heard him and and everybody spoke well of him, but he didn't get that choice. You know what he was given? He was given a a ministry and God said to him, Isaiah, I'm sending you to a hard-hearted people and they will not listen to you, but keep preaching. Do you think Jeremiah wanted to be the weeping prophet? I mean, what a name, right? He's the weeping prophet, but why is he always weeping? Because nobody's listening to truth. Now, to some degree, you say, well, you know, would would David have wanted to be this king and that sort of thing? And I think to some degree, yes. But you know, there are difficulties and challenges when there's success, and there's difficulties and challenges when there's no success. And we see the failures of those who are blessed immensely by God because those, fail, fail, those blessings come with great opportunity for failure. But my point in drawing attention to this is that even here in, in this auditorium, there are some of you who find yourself, and maybe you found 2022, in the category of conquering kingdoms. Everything, was going, everything has been going fantastically. You couldn't imagine a better life. And God has blessed you immensely. And what I would say is, walk that walk of faith that God's given to you. But some of you, you're in the valley. You're not on the mountaintop. And you just can't even imagine another trial coming your way in light of all the trials that have come your way already. And you say, no, what... What's next? I mean, you don't even want to answer the phone anymore. It's just, it's that sort of, sort of challenge you're going through. And I'd simply say to you, run the race that is set before you. God's placed the race there. He is sovereign over the life he's given to you. And let me ask you this question. When, when they come to, to eternity, do you think those who have endured great hardship for Christ will be rewarded for that? Do you think there's a joy that's set before them? The answer is unequivocally yes. And so to some degree, those who have experienced a greater trial have some means for for anticipating a greater joy to come. Let me draw this to a close as we As we think about running the race, the author of Hebrews says, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these men and women of faith in the past, and there are so many examples for us to look at, then we ought also to run. To run with endurance, to make it. So if we go to the last slide, the question here is this, how are we going to thrive in 2023? And my answer would be these. Look back to your run of 2022. Are there weights and sins that you need to to set aside? And let me say, I think every Christian should say yes to this question. Something that would improve our run next year or this year. Second, look around at your fellow saints. Could I encourage you this year to, to commit to reading a biography? To commit to connecting with another fellow saint, maybe somebody further along in the discipleship process than you, somebody uh, not as far along in the discipleship process, 
Connect with others because this is a communal race. Look at those fellow saints around you. Third, look to Jesus. If you're in the midst of trial and difficulty, remember how he ran despite running straight to the cross. He didn't look at the cross. He looked at the joy set before him. Meditate on the promises of God. Every morning, say, this is God's truth. This is God's promise to me. And whatever is going to happen today, it can't change this. It's God's promise. Finally, look up to the Father. Whatever the challenges, whatever the blessings and the challenges come your way this, this year, know that God is sovereign over the path that he's chosen for you. And so run the race. Exhaust yourself. We don't get younger, and every day we spend, we're never getting it back. So give it to Christ. Run this race with patience. Father, you've been good to us. You've given to us a year over this last year that, though filled with much trial, as these saints before me could say, has nevertheless been filled with much of your blessing. You've been good to us. But as we look at a new year to come, My heart says, and I imagine many of your saints here, their hearts are saying that we could run better, and we want to, Father. So help us to lay aside the weights and the sins. Help us to encourage one another as we run. Help us to look to Jesus. Thank you for the race you've given to us. We depend on you to help us to run it faithfully. In Jesus' name. Amen.